And as always, we'd like to thank our partners, Firebird Rising and the beautiful game network, BGN. You can go to their websites to see more of their content at firebirdrising.coreair, that's K-O-R-R-A-I-R.com, or at bgn.fm. And let's get to the show. Welcome to this week's episode of Rising as One Podcast. I'm Matt Trainer here, joined with Jeff Flint. Dominic will be joining us shortly, so we'll go ahead and get started. Not a lot of highlights for us to discuss following Phoenix's uh, 3-0 loss at Tulsa last night. Um, Jeff will go ahead and get us started with the game recap. Yep, it's time to get talking about this ugly uh, 3-0 loss to Tulsa. First of all, Phoenix Rising comes out in the 4-4-2 diamond once again. It's... Uh, and again, an interesting format in the fact that Amadou Dia is again playing center back alongside Peter Ramage with Vasquez on the left and Cody Wakasa on the right. I'm still confused as to why why we went back to this formation again. It just, I don't think Amadou Dia has the size or he has the strength to be able to be playing that center back position. Um, so then we get into the diamond formation and it's Miguel Tim at the bottom. It's, it's uh, Matt Watson on the left. It's Blair Gavin on the right. It's Eric Avila at the top, and then uh, uh, your, your attacking forwards are Didier Drogba and, and a surprise start from Matt Herlow Panessa uh, to, uh, to round out the uh, starting lineup. So uh, kind, of a, kind of a slow beginning to the match, the first 10, 12 minutes. Um, we did get a, a couple of good plays from Didier Drogba. Uh, Drogba had a nice touch in the 11th, mo- in the 11th minute. Uh, throws a ball across the, the face of the net. Uh, no no chance at uh, anybody being on the back post. Uh, then Drogba had a, had a free kick in the 14th minute that, that went wide. And unfortunately, after that wide play, uh, Tulsa turns around, comes right back on the attack. Uh, force, force a corner uh, with Vasquez. Uh, bailing out Josh Cohen because Josh Cohen came out, tried to stop a play, and it kind of got by him, but Vasquez bailed him out, set up the corner. Uh, corner came in from Kaffa to uh, to the head of Ian Savantson. Uh Peter Ramage did not jump, did not get up for the ball, and unfortunately not being able to get up puts it in the back of the net, and we got a one nothing Tulsa game. So Drogba tries to answer back the next moment, the free kick, uh, nice ball to uh, to Ramage on the back post. Um, unfortunately, Ramage pushed it just a little bit wide. Uh, and then, a, then Drogba had another free kick in the 19th minute, and that curler was 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 saved by by Serta for a corner. Um, couldn't uh, couldn't do a whole lot else there in the first half. I mean, you know, Cohen made a save in the 23rd. Uh, on a Fernandez shot, uh, free kick from from Kafa in the 32nd went just wide, and then right before the end of the half, uh, the death knell goal by Hayes. You know, failed clearance by Cody Wakasa and Miguel Tim, and uh, 
Hayes jumps on the ball and, and drives it past Cohen for the 2 nothing lead right at the end of the first half. Uh, not a lot of offense in the first half for, uh, you know, for Phoenix Rising. And, I, you know, I don't know what you can really do about it. Uh, well, you know, what were your thoughts on that first half, Matt? I think our best chance we had for him on the offense was uh, Drogba's free kick there. Um, was hoping to maybe capitalize on that, especially with the sun that was right in the goalkeeper's eyes at that time, you know, because that, that window was going to be closing. Um, not a lot of positives that I can see. The defense just looks sloppy. The, the, you know, we just talked about the goal in the 44th minute, the sloppy clearance by Wakasa and Miguel Timms, maybe a lack of communication there too, um, along with just, just not being able to get that ball out of there. The only positive that I saw was Eric Avila. I thought he did pretty decent last night. Was obviously unable to capitalize on his his one shot that he had, um, but he did seem to keep getting into the right place. You know, just wasn't getting the ball to him, and he missed the opportunity there. He had a couple key passes, so I thought he did pretty well. But as far as offensively, the rest of the match, I I didn't see much there. Yeah, I mean, it's just we didn't seem to have the pressure that we that we really needed to have. I mean. It was just all the time it was we'd get it up to Didier and hope that, that he would do something. None of the other guys were really being involved in the in the first half. You know, Avila got some good movement on the ball. You know, I, I agree with that. I thought Avila was one of the better players on the field last night. Um, you know, Drogba doing his Drogba thing. But, I mean, players like Blair Gavin, I was expecting more. I was expecting more from from Watson, and we really didn't see much of Watson in the in the in the first half. Um, I'm I, I was almost as disappointed with the first half effort as the first half effort of the Colorado Springs game, and it just it it just didn't seem like like they really showed up last night. Another one to Vasquez. I didn't think he had a really good match, uh, but yeah, it was. Uh... It was a rough one to watch. Yeah, it was a rough one to watch. So we get into the second half, and right away, uh, Patrice Carteron makes two changes. Uh, starts right off with Sean Wright Phillips getting into the match for, for Miguel Tim, which I think was a great move at the time, and also getting Jason Johnson in there for, for Matt Hurlow. And obviously, those guys really made an impression right away. Um, Johnson came right in right away, get it, got a shot in right off the bat. Uh Granted, it went over the top, but, you know, it was nice to, to see him get himself right into the game right away. Uh, nice nice cross from Cody Wakasa in the 48th minute. Uh, tried to tried to hit uh, uh, somebody on the back post, but Serta had gotten the ball and, and kicked it away. Uh, Drogba had a great chance at a free kick in the 49th minute. Uh, it, it went off the wall. Uh, Drogba had another in the 52nd that was that was punched away by Serta. Um, had a chance in the 52nd with Sean Wright Phillips, and it was a mishit. But you can see at least the pressure was the pressure was coming on in the first 10 or 15 minutes of that second half, and you know that's that's what we needed to see in the first half, you know, and and it, and it just wasn't there. It would have been nice to see that pressure in the first half, like you said. You know, maybe we could have prevented that uh, 
<clears throat> second goal and, you know, could have started the second half in a completely different situation, you know, with, uh, without having our backs up against the wall. Yeah. So Savantison had a, had a chance in the 58th minute that rang off the post. He beat Peter Ramage again. I, this was not this this was not a typical Peter Ramage game. I mean, he was struggling all night long to play, and I I don't know what it was with him. You know, last night it just didn't seem like he was himself. Yeah, he's usually the the one that we rely on. You know, especially as of lately, it seems like he's kind of been the one holding that back line together as much as he can. But uh, I'd agree with you there. He just did not have a good match last night and something just wasn't right. Yeah. So then Carteron makes his final substitution in the 66th minute. He brings on AJ Gray for Victor Vasquez. Um, like we said, you know, this was not one of Vasquez's better games last night. Um, we didn't really see a whole lot else in the second half from Phoenix rising. We saw Johnson tried to get a shot off in the 73rd that just went wide. That was probably the best chance of the remainder of the match for Phoenix rising. Um, you know, and then we get to the goal in the 85th where the defense just breaks down again. Christian Tierjung just first times it rings it past Cohen three, nothing, you know, at that point, the match is done. And, and at that point they were just playing out the string and, and get to a final three, nothing. So, a tough loss for Phoenix Rising on the road. Um, it was not. I know it was not the result they respect. They re, they uh, expected to have. Um, obviously, you know it ends the six match unbeaten streak, uh, and obviously a, a big loss in the matter of you know now it's playoff positioning that it kind of cost them. Kind of felt like we should have been able to at least walk away with one point there. Walking away with none is definitely a, a blow to to our to our potential playoff run later on in the season. Yeah, I mean, I I, I don't know what else you can really say about this match. I mean, I mean, we can only really highlight a couple of positives. I mean, obviously, we talked about Eric Avila, you know, coming on and being a positive force there throughout the entire match. It, I, I don't know if this is maybe something you know, that we talk about for other portions of the show later on in, in, in like final points, but do we start getting to a point here where we start looking at some lineup changes, you know, I mean, you know, hopefully we get Alessandro Rigi back shortly. Hopefully we, you know, we can interject him in the lineup. I would really love to see, you know, a, a combination of Rigi and, Johnson and Sean Wright Phillips and and Drogba to see them all on the field. And even if that means putting, you know, Avila in the center of the park as good as he did last night, I think that could be a, that could be a fivesome right there that could just really, I mean, that would definitely turn on the speed, you know, for this club. I think you hit it right on the head there. Uh, You know, you get Sean Wright Phillips, he's, been kind of struggling with a lingering injury and maybe that's why he's just been getting a little little bit of playing time right and then uh Rigi we kind of we expect and hope to see him soon we, then you start putting Johnson in there along with Drogba I mean that's that's a pretty good uh, pretty good combination there and I think that's what we need uh, as far as defensively I don't know what do you do with that back line I, I don't know I mean a lot of attention there it, it does need a lot of attention and I'll tell you I mean 
Wow. I mean, this is the, I mean, I would even say that this three, nothing was worse than the four, nothing to Reno. I mean, Absolutely. It, ju- it just seemed like everybody was out of position last night. I mean, between Wakasa was struggling last night. This was the first time in a while that I really felt like Wakasa was a struggling player. You know, he struggled. Dia just seemed like he wanted to go and couldn't and couldn't go. Ramage just looked like he was a step slow last night. You know, even Vasquez looked out of position. It just it just was a bad night for the back four last night. Yeah, and unfortunately, not much Josh Cohen can do when he's working with that, you know. Yeah, and 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 it's and it's tough on him. I get that. So, I mean, I don't, I don't know what that, what else there is to do at that point. That kind of wraps up the the uh, the Tulsa game, and I guess that brings us to now kind of talking about San Antonio as we go forward. I did have one comment about the yeah. the Tulsa match, and it's not really involving the match, more so the the pitch. Yeah. Uh, I don't. I don't know if the groundskeepers there know that they have to continue to water the grass when they transplant it because uh, it, it looked completely dead there. I don't know. I don't want to be too critical of them, but it looks like they just planted it and forgot to continue to water it. So well, and maybe you know, maybe they need to talk to to people like uh, like Reno, you know, and see what and and maybe even because I think Louisville's field looks pretty pretty good too, and Reno's looks really good when it's. Yeah, when it's laid down, we didn't have issues like that in the past seasons so much, I, right? I, I think what might be the difference. I think what what might be the difference though between what we do and what and what they've done is the fact is they have to pull it up and put it back down and pull it up and put it back down because they have True. the minor league team that is playing there. Um, I think that's that's probably the key issue. But for whatever reason, when you look at Reno and when Reno's playing, um, Reno's field looks totally immaculate yeah yep so maybe Tulsa should get in touch with Reno there you know obviously that wasn't our issue last night but just (laughs) just something to comment you know yeah exactly so maybe you know maybe maybe that comes comes down the road here pretty soon so so let's get into talking about next week's game uh it's obviously a big one against one of the top teams in the west uh in in San Antonio FC, uh, San Antonio coming off a two-two draw on uh, on Saturday against Real Monarchs. That was a a key ga- that was a key game in the West. I mean, to see kind of who has supremacy of of the West right now, and and obviously we're still at a point where both teams are kind of fighting for those top positions, and and so obviously you're going to be. You're going to be looking at them, you know, you know, as a key three-point game, you know, coming up. I think it'll be huge as far as, you know, you know, this will be the last time, obviously, that, that Rising will be at home for quite a while. Need to at least walk away with a draw. I mean, obviously, it'd be nice to, to win and get three points there. But, I mean, if they played anything like they played last night, that's not happening. Yeah. Um, if we play like we did the second half against Colorado Springs, good chance to get the draw or win there, I think. So hopefully there's some some changes made um, for next week's match, and those are some big points for us that we need to get, especially yeah. after losing uh, yeah. last night. Yeah, some huge yeah some huge points out there. Um, obviously, you know in the game in the game last night against RSL, uh, Vega and Tierpack. Pack. 
uh, scored goals for San Antonio. It was Chandler Hoffman getting another one. And then uh, uh, Lakoweski got one late in the last five minutes that uh, that helped preserve the draw for RSL, um, obviously keeping them uh, still at the top of the table, although you know they've got some company coming up there, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes. Um, obviously, you know, players to watch for, for San Antonio, you're talking about Billy Forbes, who's the leading scorer for the team, uh, seven goals on the season, you know, in, in 18 games played. You know, you obviously have tier packs, uh, Cesar a lot. Elizondo has, has four goals. They both have four. Uh, remember, uh, AJ, Ajaqua, you know, scored a goal against us. So he's up there as well. Um, obviously they have a, they have a great goaltender tandem, not only, you know, with, uh, you know, Diego Restrepo, who's, who has seven clean sheets on the season. Uh, you got Matt Cardone, who's, who's uh, had three clean sheets and five appearances that he's made. Um, just unbelievable, you know, unbelievable talent over there with that club. Um, and obviously, you know, points are going to be huge in this game. And, what you know, what are your thoughts about that? Just, you know, kind of like I previously said, I just – these are some big points for us, you know, that we, we definitely need after, especially after last, last night's loss. Yeah, San, you know, looking at San Antonio here, they have a loss to Colorado Springs and then three draws. So, you know, I think we have a pretty good chance to hopefully walk away with at least a point and three would be even better. Yeah, and I, and I think obviously the key, and, and it is definitely a key, is we have got to get this back line straightened out. Um, and, and if we can't soon... Uh, I think the hopes of, of, of playoff positioning might go down the drain. It's time to talk about uh, the USL, what happened this week in the league, and talk about the standings uh, for for this week. Uh, action that started on Tuesday this week, it was Harrisburg and Charlotte playing to a 1-1 draw. It was on Wednesday, Rio Grande Valley playing Orange County and that ended up in a 1-1 result. Uh, it was a Stavanovich goal early for Orange County, but it was countered by a Rio Grande Valley goal by Bird. And James picked up a red card late in that match, and it'll be interesting to see how that affects them as they go down the road. On Thursday night, it was Swope Park Rangers beating Seattle 2-0. It was goals from Maletto and Selbol that gives Swope Park Rangers the three points, and obviously it's big for them moving forward and moving up the table. Uh, Friday night, it was New York 1, Toronto nothing. Uh, Saturday action in the East, it was Rochester and Pittsburgh tying nil-nil. It was Tampa Bay with a 2-0 victory over Charleston. Richmond beat Bethlehem 3-2. Louisville topped St. Louis 4-1. And FC Cincinnati beat Harrisburg 3-0. Games of interest in the Western Conference. Uh, here's an interesting result right off the bat. Orange County. A 4-0 victory over Rio Grande Valley. Goals from Ezva, Means, Fernandez, and Kobayashi give Orange County a huge three points. And you'll see how huge those are when we get to the standings in just a moment. Uh, It was Oklahoma City with a 4-3 win over Colorado Springs. A pair of braces for Oklahoma City from Angulo and Miguel Gonzalez. It It was a brace from Burt for Colorado Springs and a goal added by Freighter, but not enough late. 
and gives Oklahoma City a huge three points moving forward. We talked about the San Antonio RSL result uh, and an interesting result uh, to end Saturday night's action. It was a 1-1 draw between Reno and Portland Timbers 2. It was a Kasipli goal early for, for Reno, but Calixtro in the 83rd tied it up for for Timbers 2 to get them a point. Interesting in the fact that they can only get a point from the team at the bottom of the table. That may be something that helps Phoenix Rising as we move in down the stretch. What do you think, Matt? Yeah, that was a very interesting result. Another interesting fact here is they played on the 15th. They also had a draw to Vancouver Whitecaps, who's 13th in the Western Division. You know, I don't. Reno's struggling the past few matches. Maybe they just got all their goals out of the way against Los Dos, and now <laughs> anytime we can get a team above us to get a draw, that's that's good. Especially playing somebody like Timbers Two or Vancouver, who at this point is not really in the runnings, and hopefully they don't become in the runnings with us soon. Exactly, um, and obviously one more game coming up uh, on the schedule this week, and it's on Sunday. And it will be Sacramento playing Seattle Sounders 2 to wrap up the week. And that wraps up week 18. So the current standings as they, as they sit. At the top, it's Real Monarchs, 14-2-2 with 44 points. Then in second now is Swope Park Rangers with this great streak that they're on right now, 12-4-2 for 38 points. They've leapfrogged San Antonio, which moves into third, 10-1-7 for 37 points. Then it's a 10-point gap to fourth place. Reno is at 7-4-6 for 27 points. Tulsa is in fifth with the win. 8 8 and 1 for 25 points. Sacramento sits 6th, 7 6 and 4 for 25 points. In 7th is Colorado Springs at 6 8 and 6 for 24 points and rounding out the top 8 right now, Seattle holds the 8th spot, 7 10 and 2 for 23 points. Then we get into 9th place, Oklahoma City. I'm sorry, Orange County sits in 9th place. 6-4-4 four, four with 22 points and a plus 3 goal differential. It's Oklahoma City in 10th, 6-8-4 for 22 points with a minus 5 goal differential. It's Phoenix in 11th, 6-6-4, six, six 22 points and a minus 6 goal differential. It's Rio Grande in 12th at 6-8-3 for 21. It's Vancouver in 13th. 4-9 and 5 with 17 points. It's LA Galaxy 2 in 14th with 4-11 and 3 for 15 points. And rounding out the standings, Timbers 2, 1-15 and 3, 6 points. Obviously getting the draw being the big point there. But obviously you can see as far as the standings go. It's, it's only a 5-point gap from 4th place to 11th place. It's games in hand still, as you look at it from Phoenix Rising's point of view. The only team that does not have that we do not have games in hand over right now is Orange County. They sit ahead of us uh, with two games in hand. But as far as as Phoenix Rising is concerned, most game most are between one and three games in hand with teams ahead of us. So obviously. There's there's some points still to be had out there, Matt. Yep, it's not uh, 
it's not the end of the season. We still got plenty of time to, you know, pick up some points. Hopefully we can start making up those games in hand that we have and see where we really stand. Yeah. So that will take care of this week in the in the league and, and the standings. We'll be back in just a moment. Dominic uh, Kearns interviewed uh, USL broadcasting great Mike Watts. Uh, Dominic will have some comments on that, and then we'll get into our midseason awards. A couple days ago, I had the extreme privilege to interview Mike Watts. It was a fantastic interview, and he's doing great work all around. You've probably heard him on ESPNU through the Sirius XMFC podcast that they do once a week. Shout out to them for mentioning us on one of their shows. That's really awesome. And uh, he can be found on USL Coast to Coast. But anyways, it was a great interview, and here it is. Hello, this is Dominic Kearns with the Rising as One podcast, and today we have a very special guest, a guy that's been kind of a big deal in USL circles. He's broadcasting a ton of games. He's been on ESPNU a couple times. Mike Watts, how are you doing today? I'm good, Dom. It's always good to be with another Fordham Ram, right? That is right. Class of 2015. And uh, I think we're going a little out of order here, but people don't realize that some of the great broadcasters in America, over history, Vince Scully, Spirodides, Mike Breen, yourself, all come from Fordham Radio. Yeah, it's a lengthy list, isn't it? I mean, you think about Bob Papa was calling Thursday Night Football and does a lot of the boxing, and Ryan Rucco is the voice of the WNBA, Michael Kay is the voice of the Yankees. Fordham's got a good idea what they're doing there, and that Vince Scully guy, he's pretty good. A little bit, just okay. <laughs> Uh, but enough tuning our own horn. We'll get back to that later. Um, you were out here for the Gold Cup last night. How was that experience? It was great. And I know they got 37,400 at University of Phoenix Stadium. Um, Mexico always was going to draw well. But honestly, I thought the better game was the first one. I thought Canada and Jamaica put on a really good show. Um, Jamaica deserves to move on. But Canada really looked like a bit of an upstart there. They really had a genuine chance late. And you look at Honduras, they just never scored. I mean, four games in, in Gold Cup, and they never scored. And Mexico uh, kind of gets by, and, and they've got a chance to go take on Jamaica's side. They they drew in the, in the group stage. Without getting into unprofessional opinions territory here, Whew. I am not a fan of Honduras. Just their style. <laughs> Sorry any Honduran listen, listeners out there, but they just they play a little dirty. They don't move the ball too well. Oh, 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 oh. We're getting into their dirty. They, it's, it's, it's the case of you play with the amount of talent that you have, and Honduras doesn't have Mexican talent. That's okay. <laughs> That's fair, but, yeah. You know, sometimes you just got to yank a guy down a little bit to make sure they don't uh, take advantage of the fact you've actually like moved more than four people out of your, out of your defensive half. They almost tied it at the end there. Yeah, yeah, they, they had a couple good chances, and Alex Lopez almost had that Olympico. I mean, genuinely, you've got Cor, uh, Cor, um, Corona diving into his own net to save a, an Olympico five minutes ago, and then in stoppage time, they, they just as easily could have leveled it. Right. I'm with you, though, about that Jamaica-Canada. A couple screamer goals in that one. <laughs> I think there were three plays from that match on the Sports Center Top 10 last night. That many. Uh, Andre Blake had an amazing save. People don't realize just how good he is. And when the Union get a little bit better, and they are, they're kind of getting back into form, they're going to see a lot more of him. He's the goalkeeper of the year, and I still feel like he's not talked about a lot. And 
and then Junior Hoylette. That that was a little little looper into yeah, the net. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think Blake might be the best keeper in this tournament that's still going right now. Yeah, I mean, is Tim Howard really in form? I mean, that's kind of the question you're asking, and um, I, I definitely think he's kind of got a, a leg up on the Mexican goalkeeping group, especially with Ochoa not making the roster after playing in Confed Cup. Same with Kaylor Navas not traveling with teams. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. No, genuinely, kind of look at it, and, and that's their stake. That's their chance. That's how Jamaica finds their way through, if they do. Right. One more question, more about the experience what was your take on University of Phoenix Stadium? Was this your first time? Yeah, yeah, it was unique to be honest because they they obviously take the bleachers out from one side and you see the tracks that they can roll the grass out on, which I'd always heard about with Sunday night football. They're like, here's a time lapse of the grass being taken out of the stadium, and they do RV shows here, and it's like, what? You even had the Collinsworth down right there. <laughs> I know exactly. Uh, no, it, it was it was it was good. There was a good atmosphere to it. I think. The Mexican fans showing up late in the game. It was kind of funny watching them pick sides between Jamaica and, and Canada a little bit. Like, who do they really want to see in the final? And, and eventually it was kind of borderline even, uh, but uh, in the semifinal, rather. So I thought it was a good atmosphere. I, I really genuinely enjoyed being there. Yeah. Well, I mean, enough about, enough about this. Let's get to talking about you, since you are the star of this interview. Tell us a little bit about yourself. What was your official reason for being at the Gold Cup, and what do you do with USL? Yeah, so with Gold Cup, I'm with CONCACAF. It's a world feed that we produce. Uh, I'm, I'm a solo commentator on that, so Fox will have their own show. So yesterday, it's funny, I was texting with JP Della Camera before the game. He's calling the Fox feed, which will air in the United States, and then I'm calling a feed that will go to TSN in Canada or... Uh, Fox Sports Match Pass, or it'll go to Sky Sports in in England. So, you know, some of these great commentators, like Ian Eagle is fantastic, you know, with the Brooklyn Nets and March Madness. He does the NBA Finals International feed. No one ever really knows about that because they think Mike Breen calls the finals. But, like, Ian Eagle is the voice of the NBA in everywhere but the United States. And that's kind of where I was yesterday with Gold Cup. So really, you're getting out to a pretty decent audience. We hope. I mean, the question is, how many people in London last night were tuned in for Canada and Jamaica? And if the answer is a lot, then I'm then I'm a hero. And if the answer is none, then I'm a zero. Well, I mean, they got to show something at 4 a.m. at the clubs, right? <laughs> You're too flattering. What, Dom, how kind of you. Something at 4 a.m. in the clubs. That's right. Exactly. Got to keep the party going in Jamaica, Canada. What yeah. better way to do it? <laughs> Gosh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was it was me and all my rowdy friends last night. So, and then what about your USL role? Yeah, so uh, the USL has given me a great opportunity through USL Productions to call both the ESPN games. So that's right now a package of, of 19 or 20 games on ESPN3 and ESPNU, as well as the final for what will be the third consecutive year. And then there's also all these other games. So I'll call a lot of Phoenix Rising games, a lot of Louisville City games um, in particular. I'm the primary guy on those packages. Um, in addition to doing the Sirius XM show every Monday night at 9 p.m. Eastern, but right now it's 7. So I'm like playing around with what edge of drive time I want to be on in the West Coast. 
And that's that's USL coast to coast, right? Mm-hmm. That's it. What channel is that on? Uh, Sirius XM FC Channel 85. Have you been to enough games this year where they're reading that over the PA? <laughs> like, I can hear it in my headset, and I'm going, oh, no, they're doing it again. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, now if you want to listen to the podcast, you have to hear that. It can't just go through one ear out the other. So. Exactly. Now you, now you know. Now you really know. Boom, marketing. <laughs> this is cross-promotion. I like it. I That's like what we it. do for our guests here. But uh, So you said you've done several Phoenix Rising games. Mm-hmm. Have you actually made it out to the soccer complex? Not yet. I have to. And that's kind of the unique thing about this is, is I get a chance to talk to the players and talk to the coach on a, on a weekly basis, and you really try and get in tune with the team. You're talking to you know Jose Bosch, who does such a good job at kind of helping us do what we do, and he's on our, on our team as the sideline guy. Um, you're trying to be as connected as you can to the fan base. I mean, you're trying to, you know, get the the feeling that that you know La Furia Roja and, and the Banditos feel, and, and try and and sell that on the broadcast because they're the ones who are, are watching when they're on the road, and they're the ones who who create the atmosphere when they're at home. So, uh, haven't been there yet. I'm going to try and get there before I leave town for for the Rose Bowl for the Gold Cup semi today. But uh, yeah, I, I, I mean. The, the fact that they built that thing. Uh, Burke Bakai told me before week one, we went from tumbleweeds to rough and tumble in 53 days. And so I kind of want to see what that looks like before I go. What's, I mean, what is your experience meeting with Burke Bakai? Because in my experience, he's one of the nicest people, but also has a very firm vision for where he wants this franchise to go. Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it. I mean, he's a guy who's been successful on the business side, so it's really no surprise that he knows what he wants from his club in that perspective from a soccer side. I mean, he's gone out along with the other ownership and ownership group and, and the front office, and they've gone and they've hit a couple of home runs in terms of signings. And when you're trying to make a name for yourself, he called it an entrepreneurial startup before week one. I had him on serious. Uh, about 10 weeks into the season and he's talking about how strong the attendance has been and how they've really kind of turned the ship around and they say Rome wasn't built in a day but Phoenix Rising kind of was wasn't it 53 days but close enough 53 did I not say 53 yeah oof all right I knew that I swear it's it's like on my boards you know I've got you know tumbleweeds to rough and tumble in 53 and now here I am blowing it on this podcast what a bummer it's all right man uh so this is a good time to transition, as we tend to do whenever we have guests on here, to the topic of MLS expansion. Mm-hmm. It's a hot-button issue here. It's a hot-button issue in quite a few USL cities. What are your thoughts on it, and which cities do you ultimately see getting those four slots? Yeah, I think it's interesting. You kind of wonder how they'll handle the expansion in terms of east and west. I mean, even in USL, you look at how they handled expansion. They moved St. Louis from the west to the east, so like... It, People go, oh, they have to keep a firm West and a firm Eastern Conference. And I'm going, well, Tell that to a Sporting Kansas City fan. Right. Exactly. (laughs) You know, like, tell Sporting Kansas City to go to the East. Or, or, you know, Minnesota United would be a good Eastern team, potentially, if that's the way they went. So they could make adjustments. But uh, if you're going to go with the thought process that it's East and West, the attendance for Sacramento... And Cincinnati is impossible to overlook. I I think Sacramento um, is a matter of time. They've sustained it for years. I think they're a fantastic franchise. Um, 
I, I really do think that, that Paul Buckle and that group understand how to put together an entertaining game on the field. You know, they've, they've built sustained success on and off, so credit to them. Cincinnati, they really are just trying to like bowl their way into this. I mean, they really weren't supposed to be a part of it. I mean, you look at the expansion cities and you go, okay, look at all these giant TV markets that they could get into, and, and a lot of people think that's kind of what is driving this, and I, I think that makes sense. But on the other hand, you know what MLS team outside of Seattle and maybe a you know a Vancouver, a Portland, whatever, look at twenty thousand a game or seventeen thousand a game for USL and go, oh, I wouldn't want that. I mean, it's fantastic. So I think those two are kind of forcing their way in. I do think you know in the East, I think Tampa Bay is making a really good push for themselves. Um, I think they've got a genuine chance, and out West, genuinely, I, I think. You look at Phoenix, you look at San Antonio, they're well-run organizations um, that are getting good attendance for, for San Antonio. They've got a, a really gorgeous stadium there in, in Toyota, and I think it's expandable. And, and Phoenix, why not? I mean, they've wanted this market forever. Like, this is absolutely a market that they've coveted since day one, and they haven't been able to get here. And part of that is, is how do you get the fan base to really tap into American soccer and you're looking at Phoenix Rising right now and going, they did it. They finally did it, right? And I think a lot of that goes to the ownership group. This might be the one time I interject a little bit here. Mm. Um, this ownership group from day one, like I was saying before, had a strong vision. But what they've done is take note of all the small <clears> – excuse me there. Take, it, take note of all the small details and execute those. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking back in January – they met with season ticket holders at Four Peaks, and they were really happy to talk to them, take pictures. This is back in January. Mm-hmm. Uh, and really just doing everything right, getting games on local TV, doing TV advertising now. The old ownership group, they were playing out in Peoria. They really weren't making much of a name for themselves. They really weren't getting out there and advertising too hard. And it is tough to play out in Peoria, but this this group... Right away, they move it to a larger population center. So I just have to say, they are doing a fantastic job. Yeah, I agree with that. And, and I always found it funny. I, I spoke to Frank Yallop every week right up in, until he left the franchise um, to move a little bit closer to home. And you, you look at uh, what they did building this roster because he put a lot of his own name and personal capital behind it. You know, He, he was telling me about how Sean Wright Phillips shows up and he goes and takes him out to this reservation and goes, there's going to be a stadium here in two months. <laughs> and you have, like, Sean Wright Phillips looking around like, I played at Chelsea, dude. Like, I played at Man City. But to his credit, he, he, he believed in that vision. And that comes from ownership. I mean, it comes from, you talked about how Burke Bakai has a vision. And, and genuinely, he does. I don't fault teams that don't spend the way that, that Burke and the ownership group have because this was a bit of a risk. I mean, let's say, you know, Drogba certainly, you know, thrown a little more, you know, wood into the fire. But, you know, let's say Bravo and, and Wrightfields, let's say it doesn't work. Let's say the record is bad. Let's say they're at the end of the year they've put up a pop-up stadium and the team isn't winning and, and they're dead last in the standings. Well, then what do you do? You've thrown all this money in a hole. But, but to their credit, they take that risk. They, they've done well to find a good manager to begin with in Yallop. And then they find another good one in um, in Patrice, who's really come in and 
I think made some really good personnel moves within the roster. You kind of go, all right, they, they put their money where their mouth was. Credit to them. Right. Uh, I mean, Amadou Dio being one of those great moves. Mm-hmm. But, right, I mean, this this group, I was just going to say something and it just slipped my mind. But maybe it'll come back later, maybe it won't. Um, really good insights on the MLX expansion, though. And I guess kind of transitioning a little bit. So you've been t- telling us a lot about your background mm-hmm. getting into soccer. But I want to rewind even a little bit before that. You were doing basketball and football games with Fordham Radio in undergrad, right? Yeah, I was doing those too. <laughs> and so how did this soccer opportunity come up? Yeah, so in reality, you look back to my high school sophomore year, and I was not a good athlete. Like, And, and you can see me right now. You understand why I, I'm like pointing at myself like, nope, not a good athlete. But people are listening like, well, the voice sounds like it could be from a guy who's like semi-fit. He's not. Right, I'm not. <laughs> in fairness, you know, you, you got you got some good height. You could be a nice glue guy for they, basketball. Precisely. I could be the guy who offers five good fouls a game. Yeah. Um, no, so my high school team, Cleveland St. Ignatius, uh, was the number one team in the country when I was a sophomore going into my junior year. We had a broadcast club. I had just quit the football team because uh, uh, I was never going to play. Um, and I, I jumped into that. And uh, kind of fell in love with it. I mean, you know, we were doing radio. I had never done it before at all, soccer broadcasting. And all of a sudden, I'm tossed into this number one team in the country. And so I do that, and I go to Fordham, and and Jim McEldry and and Gavin Wise made it so easy for me to cover their team. Ryan Mara, who who obviously won the title last year with Red Bulls, too, um, was the captain on that initial team. Um, and then they ended up winning a championship in 2014, and, and I still have a ring from that, and I, I prize that. Um, so Fordham's got this great soccer program on the men's and the women's side. Jess Clinton does a great job, too. Took them to the final a couple years ago. So, you know, you keep going through there, and honestly, you keep kind of getting tugged by the success that you're around. You're like, okay, like, you know, Fordham basketball could probably use a little work, but Fordham soccer right now, here we go. Yeah. Uh, and then you, um, you you have a couple chance meetings, so... For me, it's it's really interesting, and, and we talked about it a bit off the air. And I can go into it or, or not. It, you know. Oh, by all means. I think these are fascinating stories <laughs> about how people find their big break. Yeah, I mean, and, and big break is, is, of course, I think a relative term. Uh, the people in London think it's a big break, but people here in the country still don't know who I am. Um, at, at Fordham, uh, I went there as a finance student, and I met with uh, Bob Ahrens, who's run that program now for 15 years, and just uh, stepped aside uh, over this summer. And he would bring in these big-ticket guests. I mean, we're talking like, here's Bob Costas, and here's Mike Breen, and, you know, you're going down the line. Doc Emmerich comes once a year. You're like, oh, my gosh, like, oh, all these big announcers. And early in my career, I thought, like, oh, these are the people I want to meet. In reality, it's the people that you don't know that are going to get you further in your career. So Bob Costas won the Vin Scully Lifetime Achievement Award from Fordham. Vin calls personally, and and Bob um, comes and uh, accepts the award. But he has someone who's going to introduce him, and that guy is Mike Weissman, who is his baseball producer uh, at NBC for all those years that they had the World Series. So Mike Weissman decides he's going to bring along a friend of his who is a adjunct professor at Queens College who just happens to have produced 
somewhere in the realm of a dozen World Cups and Olympics for ESPN and NBC and uh, ABC, and, and he's been around the block. So Mike Cohen shows up at this at this um, you know little speaking engagement in front of the Fordham students. And I wasn't supposed to be there, and you know how this is. You're, you're still you're a law student. You get this. I had a test yeah. next period. I don't have time for this. Um, but I end up going. I didn't even know he was going to be there. Uh, I, I had a tape in my bag that I wasn't supposed to have. I just stopped off, and as a you know sophomore, I think maybe a freshman in college, you know, I give this guy Mike Cohen my tape, and all of a sudden he calls me a couple months later and he says we need a guide track for. Uh, our Spain-Ireland broadcast at Yankee Stadium. Can you come do that? Of course I can. Then that became my demo, and he, he uh, in 2015, needs a guy to call the, the USL Cup final. So I fly to Rochester and, and do that. Um, and, and then in 2016, you know, they, they liked what I did, and they kept me around, and uh, it, it's been the, the single kind of biggest break of my career. It just happened to take, like, seven different steps. That's there. usually how it works. It's usually a long con. Mm-hmm. But I think the moral of this story is you got to go to Rochester in November if you want to <laughs> make it big in life. I, I the, the two funny things about the Rochester final. Uh, number one, I called that entire game with ripped pants. Like I got out of the car with John Harks and I reached for my backside and I realized that there is legitimately like a, like a, like a foot diameter hole in my pants. So, like, already it is ice cold. I mean, they brought up an open flame to warm up the booth. And I'm sitting here, like, feeling the wind between my cheeks. So that's not a good start. It's got to be a little liberating, though. (laughs) No, it felt great. It was wonderful. But uh, (laughs) these wool suits aren't made for for men of of my size. Uh, But so you've got that. And then the other thing is... um, I had the singular worst headache I have ever experienced in my life the night before that game. And I couldn't go to sleep. It's like 2 in the morning. So I go down to the front desk and I go, you guys must have ibuprofen, right? You know, some aspirin. And they go, no, but there's a gas station a mile down the road. It's legitimately like 10 degrees outside in like an iffy part of Rochester, New York. So I like in shorts and and a and a hoodie walk like half a mile down the road and the place is closed. So I'm like <laughs> like trying to fall asleep till six in the morning and finally they give me a ride. But like that's my 2015 USL Cup final and somehow I, I did enough in that game that they brought me back in in 2016. So you know I, I don't know what I did there, but you know I, I'm glad they brought back the guy with the ripped pants and the bad headache. Hey, as long as it looks good on TV, right? <laughs> yeah, you can't see the pants on TV, so I was all good. Yep. I was all good. Well, I think we're getting towards the end, but I know you've broadcasted quite a few Phoenix Rising games. Do you have any interesting insights on the team or any stories that some of our listeners may not have known about? Yeah, I mean, I think that the funny thing, I mean, for one, our production team, because uh, obviously we do SAP on Your View Arizona, um, we're just a really close-knit group i mean we just we we pretty much have the same team week in and week out and and usually the one kind of rotating guy tends to be the the english language analyst and we'll bring in a couple different people for that but uh no i mean we we just have a ball with it i mean you know we we talk every week with jose and we're kind of interested to see where he's going to go i mean he poured an entire bottle of water on his person like three weeks ago and 
uh, you know, we're watching this happening live, and we're like, "What? What? Where is he leaning?" He's still doing his hit, and he grabs a bottle of water off the field, and he starts pouring it on himself, and and we're all looking at each other like, "We have this on tape, right? Like, we we did get this, right?" Um, so no, I mean. You know, the, the tough part is, is when you're off-site, you don't, like, find out those, like, hilarious training stories. But on the other hand, you know, uh, the, the one thing I enjoyed with Rick Schantz when he was the coach was he knows everybody. Because with SC Tucson in MLS preseason, it was like, yeah, and then I had dinner with Jimmy Nielsen. And you're like, what? Like, you know, that came out of nowhere, but sure. Uh, pretty much every coach in the West has some connection to him. And I genuinely enjoyed asking because he, he listens back to the broadcast. He TiVos the games. And he hears me, he and his wife heard me say the six degrees of Rick Schantz during a game. And the next week he, he gets on the phone and he goes, before we get started, uh, Mike Munoz at LA Galaxy 2, let me give you the six degrees to Rick Schantz. And it's just... You know, it, it's such an easy organization to get get on with. I mean, they they make it they make it easy for us to want to come and do the games for them. Yeah, I've had that exact same experience. Jose is one of the best in the biz, and you never know what he's going to come up with next. <laughs> it's just it like he leans off frame. Like that's number one. Don't do it. Like Marco Rubio did that after after a State of the Union, and like never quite got over it. Like that's still a joke with him that he's reaching for the water, and here he is. Like the the frame was empty, and then he just like pops up with a bottle of water, and you're like, is he parched? What's he What's he doing here? And he's got a bandana on his head all of a sudden. How did that get there? I mean, just remarkable. This guy's got like eight, eight, eight arms to handle all the different things he's doing. Incredible. He does, and he's working with the rising Twitter. So, yeah, someone's got to do the dirty work. And and it, it, if you follow him personally, you know he's got a good sense of humor to him. He's got a good social media sense. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. I know you're going to have to get off to. L.A. and the Rose Bowl. Have you been to the Rose Bowl before? No, no, but as I grew up in Cleveland, so uh, a bit of a Buckeye. Like, th- this is kind of the mecca, isn't it? Like, this is kind of where, like, your career is supposed to end up, and here I am at 24. I'm, I'm, I'm like, in awe of it. It's all going to be downhill. <sighs> enjoy the pinnacle. Spoken like a true L.A. man to say, enjoy the <laughs> pinnacle, the Rose Bowl, and then get the hell out of my city. <laughs> That's what I did, so. Uh-huh. Um, well, thank you so much for your time, and just so everyone knows where you're at on Twitter. Yeah, at Mike Watts on air, and uh, yeah, I'm on uh, Sirius on Monday nights at 9, uh, so when you're done with this podcast, you can just roll over to the app and, and listen to that too, and um, you know, game of the week, make sure you're, you're tuning in. I think our next one is uh, is uh, the coming Wednesday, it's... Uh, what, Real, Monarchs, and RGV, I think, got put in there for FC Cincinnati because they've got Open Cup to worry about, so their game got shifted. So, you know, flip on, watch ESPN sometime, and, and give us some numbers. Monarchs is always a fun watch. And, uh, you know, we were talking about this before. Don't tell his girlfriend, but he was complaining about not having enough viewers sliding into his DMs during the I got to get out of here. This is terrible. You are just, you are asking... For so much trouble, it's just, I've heard horror stories about, like, girlfriends, like, going into DMs and, like, and these are professional athletes, not me, so, like, you know, they're, like, good-looking guys, you know, in, in shape and everything, and, like, they're getting some, some pretty iffy stuff. I don't get any of that. Like, I, I get you asking me to be on this podcast, and, and there's nothing nefarious about that. 
That's that's what that's what we think. But uh, I'll, I'll let it go right now before it just gets really into crazy territory. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for your time. Always, man. So that was the interview with Mike Watts. Fantastic listen. I have to say it was one of the best interviews that I've had the chance to record with anyone, really. Um, gotta love those Jose stories, too, at the end. Um, just gotta love it. But that brings us to our next segment, and this one is very appropriate because it's the exact midpoint of the season. This is our first semi-annual risers, you know, kind of like the Oscars, but for this team. And basically, we have seven categories, and we're giving out mid-season awards for players. So... That's what we're going to do today. Kind of like uh, the Dundies off the office. Pretty right? much, yeah. <laughs> it's it's just about that level of officiality. But, uh, yeah, so the first, the first category is going to be the award for biggest surprise player of the year. The nominees are Josh Cohen, Amadou Dia, Jason Johnson, and Alessandro Rigi. And so my nominee here, I went with Josh Cohen. I know he had started before with Orange County, but I think a lot of people weren't sure what his role was going to be, how big of a, of a spot he would uh, have in our lineup because Carl had been our starter for the last couple years. But Cohen came in right away, and not only did he come in right away, he was very successful and very important in keeping us in a lot of games. So that's my choice for Surprise Player of the Year. Although Johnson, he was right there. Yeah, I could definitely understand... Uh... Josh Cohen being up there on the list. I, I personally went with uh, Jason Johnson. Um, I think he's been really good the past few weeks. Um, you know, we won't talk about last night in too much detail, but uh, the previous weeks he's he was pretty good. Even last night, he you know brought some energy to the to the field when he got uh, brought on in the second half. Um, so he was my uh, biggest surprise player of the year. And I too kind of went with Jason Johnson. I thought you know. You look at his his performance in the last few weeks, and and even though Patrice Carteron has has decided to use him right now as a sub, which I think might be his best role for him at the moment, he brings an energy to the game that we haven't normally seen from a lot of other players that come into contests. I think he's filling into his role nicely. Um, obviously, being Player of the Week a couple of weeks ago was it was a great honor for him, um, but. You know, I think if we're talking a surprise player right now, I, my choice would be Jason Johnson. All right. And uh, just so you guys know, listeners, the poll will be open for almost 24 more hours. I don't know if it'll still be open by the time this goes on air. I think it will be tomorrow morning, though. Um, so definitely go and vote on these. Make your voices heard. The next category, most underwhelming player. And I'm going to have to say it. I've kind of been beating this drum all year. It's Omar Bravo to me. I mean, here he is coming in. He was actually our first major signing of the offseason. And, you know, for the first few weeks, he was really given the chance to be a true number nine and really shine up front, and he just did not take advantage at all. Still only has one USL goal on the season. Granted, that was a very important goal. But, you know, he's had a few halves where he's in the right spots and being very active, but he's had a lot of other halves where he's and full games where he's just non-existent, doesn't do anything. So I'm going to go Omar Bravo here. Yep, I would have to agree with you there. Uh, 
pains me a little bit to say that because I was I definitely was a fan of Omar Bravo signing and I thought he was going to do a lot of big things. So far, he hasn't been able to. Um, you know, hopefully, see if he can come back to life for us for the second half of the season. I'm going to go a little bit off the cuff, guys, and while I while I think Omar Bravo has been underperforming, obviously, I think one of the first signings that Phoenix Rising had made this year that I think everybody thought was going to be a huge factor in this season was going to be Mike Seth. I think we really expected to see a lot more out of Mike Seth, but he's only played in two or three contests the entire season. I mean, this was supposed to be a big major signing before we had made Bravo, before we had made Drogba, before we had made SWP signings. You know, we were looking at strictly USL players that were going to come in and make an impact, and I think Mike Seth was going to be that guy, and he was going to be that guy sitting next to Omar Bravo, and it just never, ever really materialized. And, you know, as much as I would love to say that Bravo is that guy, I, I think Mike Seth is there a little bit more. Yeah, that's very fair. Um, so far, most people are going Omar Bravo, but again, there is still ch- time for that to change. Uh, the other nominees were uh, Cody Wakasa and Mike Seth. Uh, so on to best match of the year. These nominees are the win over Swope, the win where it was really 4-0, and we were dominating most of that game. Scoreline was very flattering to the visitors. Uh, the win over Whitecaps 2, the win over Oklahoma City Energy, that very dramatic game, and our home win over Los Dos. Uh, for me, I think it was the win over Swope, because it's the only match where all parts of our game were clicking. The attack, the defense, and the keeping. All parts of the game were perfect for really like nine-tenths of that match. And then only right at the end did we allow them to get back in it. But that's, that's my choice. That's the only game where we looked like a real strong, strong team. Second you there on that one. Swole Park was uh, my match of the season so far. Um, and I think that's even more important so now because of how well Swap Park is doing. I believe they're like a six or seven match win streak right now. Um, so that just shows us that that was, uh, was a really good win. And I would, I would third that, you guys. I mean, obviously, at that time when, when we played Swope, Swope came in as an undefeated team, and we put, the, we put a first loss of the season on Swope. And I think it was a very huge game at that point of the season. Obviously, we were sitting right there. We were 2-2. Two and two. We were coming off you know, a, a tough stretch. And knowing that a hot team was coming in, knowing that the, we needed the competition to play a, a great match and to come out with the fire and the passion that they did right off the bat, that was you know, a, huge, a huge momentum boost and obviously propelled them in the right direction after that. Right, and this is another interesting thing, though. This is why we open these polls up to the fans. The fans have actually disagreed. The fans so far have the Oklahoma City Energy win ahead of that win over Swope for best match of the year, maybe looking at it from the drama aspect and how they were able to pull through even with those two injuries. I mean, these are all great nominees, so can't really complain too much. Uh, The next one is the flip side of that, worst match of the year, and the nominees... One of them is immediately on our minds, uh, the 0-3 to Tulsa. The other two was the 0-4 home loss to Reno, where Dane Kelly scored a hat-trick, and our 1-0 loss to Toronto 2. I'm going to start this one off. (laughs) Ironically, those two terrible matches, I really didn't see the full matches for either. Um, 
but I'm going to go with the Reno one because that was a point in the season where they were playing very poor soccer up to that point, and we were coming home off of a pretty big road trip, and we're thinking, you know, this is for sure going to be a win. Like, we were talking about it as an absolute must-win, and not only to lose, but the way we lost, just to get absolutely driven out of our arena within the first 10 minutes to concede two, uh, that was pretty disheartening. Although, last night was pretty disheartening too, so... So I would have to pick Tulsa. Last night's loss is the worst match of the year. I don't have much else to say about that loss. Kind of beat that one already. <laughs> and, and and I would tend to agree with you, uh, Matt, as far as the worst loss, the 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 three nothing loss to Tulsa last night. You know, as much as as much as you know, a four nothing loss to Reno looked bad. Um, I think you look at that, and I think we just played the wrong style of game. You know, against Reno, and I and I think it it showed that 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 the formation and the and the players that we had on the field weren't right. Last night just did not look like the effort was there. Period. I mean, at least you you could see points of points of effort in the Reno loss. You know, trying trying to make things happen. But when you've only got one guy who's really making most of the game happen last night in Didier Drogba and I know he was trying his heart out to try to 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 get the team single-handedly back in this game but it just seemed like the effort was flat you know it, it looked like the first half of the Colorado Springs game a couple weeks ago where they just couldn't get anything going you know we can't have too many more efforts like this if we're gonna be a playoff team you know down the stretch so that the Tulsa game is is my vote so all right, yeah. Well, let's let's move it to something a little bit... Um, well, you know what? Actually, let's finish on two high notes. Let's do one more bad one first. Uh, the next one will be worst moment of the season. Uh, and the nominees here are the Rooney and Rigi injuries within minutes of each other. The Dane Kelly hat trick from the Reno match. Our bad Open Cup loss to the Deltas. And, you know, whether you were there in person or watching the stream where it went black it's not great or the second penalty kick given to swope and the announcing that went with that game <laughs> um you know the other ones were annoying but i think the clear number one here is the rooney and Reggie injuries um rooney was our team mvp that first month of the season and change and he was really shaping up to uh, get into form and really be a regular on usl team of the week he was just starting to find his his groove really and so it was just so painful to hear him get that season ending injury and then Rigi was another important spark plug and he hasn't made his way into the rotation since that so uh, for me I think that's a clear number one because we really struggled for the next month and a half to get back into you know where we were prior to those injuries yeah, worst moment, I'd have to agree there was the uh, Rooney and Rigi injuries. Definitely have affected us um, since those injuries. Don't want, have much else to say about the other the other moments. I would say uh, so far a lot of our listeners are agreeing with that. About 79% agree that Rooney and Rigi injuries were the worst moments of the season so far. Yeah, and I would have to totally agree with you guys as well. I mean, we saw Rigi, you know, turn turn a game around just by his introduction into it and the speed factor just amazed all of us ever since that game we really haven't seen that same speed we've been trying to find players that fit that role that Rigi had been doing 
thought Jason Johnson might be able to do it. We thought Sean Wright Phillips might be able to do it. We thought Matt Watson might be able to do it. We thought Blair Gavin might be able to do it. But we just have not found the right guys to fit those positions like Regi, like Rooney. It was terrible when they happened, and it and, and it's you know sending shockwaves even now as we speak halfway through the season. You know we're we're still wishing for Regi to be back in the lineup and hoping that sometime soon he finds his way back on the pitch. Right, and I mean I know for a fact that if Regi was in our lineup, we wouldn't have looked as dead as we did yesterday. But anyways, moving on to some brighter topics, moment of the season, and this was a really tough category because I wish I could have posted five choices for this one but unfortunately twitter only allows you to do four uh so i'm going to give an honorable mention to luke rooney's winning goal against los dos that was a phenomenal play really good pass by omar bravo to set that up too uh but the four official nominees are didier drogba's free kick against orange county sean wright phillips winner against vancouver two sean wright phillips winner against oklahoma city and josh cohen's double saves at reno um I'm going to give a different answer than I think most people would. And, it, and I'm coming at it from a little bit of a biased spot, too. Uh, I did not... I was not at the game against Oklahoma City. I was actually in Italy at the time. And the funny backstory there is... I was watching the game at 5.30 a.m. in Rome. And uh, when, when they got the tying goal, I was so pissed off because that looked like such a bogus penalty kick call. And it was in added time. And I was just so pissed off once the penalty kick went in, I just turned off the stream. I'm like, damn it, we are just... I waited an hour, and then I went on Twitter. I was about to vent, and then I see everyone going nuts. I'm like, what the hell happened? Did it, oh. But um, I didn't quite get the effect a lot of people did. Uh, for me, actually, I'm going to go SWP winner against Vancouver, too. Because that's the only one I saw in person of those nominations. And... It was really the build-up, too. It was like Drogba winning the ball, making some nice dribbles, sliding it to SWP. You see that Drogba-Sean Wright-Phillips connection happening, too, so naturally, so organically, and then a beautiful shot for the win. I know it wasn't, like, the last kick of the game, like the Oklahoma City one or the Orange County free kick, but that's my nomination. I actually would say Vancouver, too. Yeah, I'm going to have to go with Drogba's free kick at um, Orange County and stoppage time to get the draw there. That was a beautiful free kick. I guess if we add up the uh, the poll percentage for both of Sean Wright Phillips, I guess he's a, he's leading because he has two <laughs> two nominations there. But uh, what do you think, Jeff? I went with Sean Wright Phillips, but I went with the Oklahoma City goal instead of the Vancouver goal. I mean, just just how that play built up in the fact that you just dev- you had just been devastated by the fact that you'd given up the penalty kick goal. I mean, so much so that I turned it off. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you go from you go from having three points in the pocket to having just the one point, and now you're feeling down. But to see those guys turn around and and not give up, and to see the play build up, and and what a strike by you know what a strike by Phillips. Similar strike as to, as to what he had in the Vancouver game. But I think just the effect that it that it did happen right at the end of the match, I think the fact that, that it just come off that, that tough time period, uh, you know, to me, I think, you know, obviously the the whole dramatics of the last minute, I think that's that's what earns him, you know, top moment of the season, you know, for me. So, 
Well, it's really nice that we have so many moments to choose from, and the poll reflects that. Uh, not even 40% for any of the nominations. Three, actually all four have received votes uh, right now. I think it's a tie between the Drogba free kick and Sean Wright Phillips winner against OKC. And I know I'm in the minority, but I like that one against, against Whitecaps. Uh, so moving on to our last one, the team MVP. Who would you say the team MVP is right now? Because the nominations are Didier Drogba, Josh Cohen, Sean Wright Phillips, and Rooney when healthy. Um, for me, it's Josh Cohen. Because I've said it before, I'll say it again. He was the only reason that we were competitive the first month and a half of this season. Our goal difference could have been so much worse without some of those games he had, especially Monarchs comes to mind. And in a lot of our wins, I mean, every single win we've had this year is by one goal. Crazy, right? But he's made some crucial saves in almost every single one of those games to either preserve the lead, keep us from going down 2-0, and then that allows us to come back later in the match. So for me, it really is Josh Cohen. Um, Didier Drogba might end up being the end-of-season MVP, but he still has only played six matches for us, so I think it's a little premature to say that. I certainly understand why people are saying it, because that's that's looks like it's in second place in the poll, but right now Cohen is winning, and I'm going to go with the majority here. I'm going to go with Drogba here. I can definitely understand all the, the points for Cohen. They're all pretty valid, and I think if maybe had a stronger back line helping him out, he would definitely he'd probably win this in a landslide. I think a lot of people forget about some of the amazing saves he does make just to keep us where we're at now. Um, but Drogba, I, you know, I vote for him just because of the difference maker, you know, as we've said at the, the Drogba difference, right? Um, he comes in and he's getting us some better crosses, some better um, corner kicks. Uh, just He was trying really hard last night, didn't come up with anything. Kind of brought up the level of play, I thought. And you know, since he started, I mean, obviously last night was our first loss, but before that, we had a six unbeaten match streak. So, you know, that aligns with Drogba. You know, I think it's funny if we if if we could have put Patrice Carterone in that in that category, it might have been <laughs> interesting too. But um, obviously, he's made a, a huge impact on this team as well. But you know, if you're looking at an MVP at this point, you know, the season, I think I think I have to go with Josh Cohen just because. You know, Josh has kept us in so many games this year. I think we, you know, we could be in a position where we're sitting 12th or 13th or 14th on the table, you know. But if if, if not for some of the efforts of Josh, you know, saving, making some big saves to, to keep three points in the bag or making some key saves to, to keep us, you know, with a point and a draw on the road or whatever the case may be, you know, I think, you know, that right there alone, you know, is worthy of him being the MVP candidate right now. I would say Drogba's a close second. You know, obviously he's made a huge impact, you know, with four goals in six games already this so, so far this season, and you know, he's changed the dynamic whether it's him kicking the ball from 40 yards on a free kick or whether he's, you know, three yards outside the box and trying to curl it around a wall. You know, obviously he's making a huge impact, you know, in the game right there, and he's changing some of the players around him as well. Yep, so that about does it for the awards. Uh, thank you for, you know, listening to us talk about that. And as we mentioned before, the polls are still open, so feel free to participate. There should still be time, even as this gets released. Uh, and I think that takes us into final thoughts. I don't, don't have a whole lot to say about Tulsa match. I just kind of want to put that in the past and move on. 
you know, one thing is Jason Johnson was named uh, USL Player of the Week for his uh, his efforts last week. Um, thought that was well deserving, and I th- I think he shows a lot of energy and hope to maybe see him get the start again soon. Um, rather, you know, coming on the sub in the second half, which he does bring some energy. But I think we need that from the beginning, um, so we we don't feel like we're playing from behind like we seem like we always are. Hopefully. You know, I don't know what the status is on Rigi. Hope to see him in there soon. It was good to see Sean Wright Phillips back in there after a, a lingering inj- uh, injury issue. You know, we have playing San Antonio next week. If we play anything like we did last night, it's going to be a very ugly match. Um, hopefully we can play similar to what we did on the second half against Colorado Springs. Yeah, I'll, I'll look at a couple of things real quick. First of all, I want to give a, a, a great shout-out to the people at SiriusXMFC for, for giving us some props on our interview last week with David Rappaport, the owner of the, one of the minority owners of the team. Um, it's obviously interesting when you can take something as local as this and, and, and get it out on a national platform. And I don't think I, we ever expected to have anything happen like that to us, and we, you know we're so grateful for 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 Sirius XMFC for throwing us a bone about about our interview last week so so that first of all um second of all yeah let's let's try and put this game in the back seat as as quickly as we possibly can let's let's focus on San Antonio it's a huge match think about it fans you're not going to see this team at home for the next 4 weeks after after t- next week so obviously I think the fan support for Saturday's game is going to need to be huge. I know starts been pushed back, you know, to the eight o'clock for the summer for the kickoffs, and you know that shouldn't be a major issue. And I know it's the summertime, and I know people are out on vacation and, and doing different things, but this is definitely a chance to not only see one of the top teams in the Western Conference come in here, but to to really be that true twelfth man that that you know ownership really looks forward to seeing every single week um believe me i i know the fans make a huge difference when they're when they're playing at home i mean obviously you've seen patrice carterone get up off the bench turn around to the fans and just get them excited on a free kick or on a corner kick but but you know and and that's a great thing to see you know especially you know from people like that so obviously they know how important the fans mean to this club so please by all means get out this week support this club be that 12th man that we're looking for and try to push him over the top and get three huge points against san antonio okay and i guess i'll i'll close things out um i guess my biggest thing like you were saying the san antonio match is important and we have a good chance because Colorado Springs beat them at home. This is not an unstoppable uh, team, even though they are high up in the standings. It seems like they, you know, haven't been on a good run of form as much lately. They're down to third place now. Swope just passed them. And, you know, looking at it from a bigger picture, though, this week was terrible. No one's going to argue that. But we are exactly at the halfway point of matches played this season. We have 22 points. We're on pace for 44 points, and I think realistically we should expect more than 44 points because of all the shuffling that happened in the first half. And that puts us in a really good position historically for making the USL playoffs. Uh, I was looking at the standings the last two years. In 2015, the 8th place team had 42 points. 
Last year it was 40 that was good enough to get in. And so if we're on pace for 44, we're going to make the playoffs. That's all there is to it. 44 has never been a number that isn't enough to make it to the playoffs. So, look, this was a tough one. I'm not going to argue about that. But we're still in really good shape when you're looking at it from the big picture. Um, so, yeah, just let's let's get this second half rolling with a huge win over San Antonio. And, you know, thanks again to Mike Watts. Uh, that was a fantastic interview. But I think that's all I got. Did you guys watch much of the uh, the Gold Cup? I know Dominic and I were at the uh, the quarterfinal out here in Glendale. I don't know if you guys got a chance to watch the U.S. men's national team uh, yesterday against Costa Rica. Clint Dempsey was uh, made a made a big impact. You could bring in Tim Howard into the lineup was a big impact. I don't. I think he made a few few saves that Guzan would not have been able to make. Um, and Josie Altidore finally gets a goal after uh, I think like what like a eight or ten ten match streak of not getting a goal. Yeah, it was it was huge in the fact that uh, you know I, I thought Arena chose the exact right time to bring on Dempsey. Um, obviously, he you know seemed maybe he was just not quite ready to go a full 90 after playing, you know, Sunday to, to, to end up the group stage, you know, but, you know, great choice, great choice by arena to put him in when he did. And obviously he changed that game completely around just, just by his speed alone. And you obviously you, you see it there, you know, where, where speed is an important factor in, in changing the outcome of a game just as much as, with Phoenix Rising, how speed has always changed the momentum of a game for us. It's always the great equalizer. Yeah, and I guess I guess my biggest takeaway from that match was just it was really good to see Josie Altador finally get a huge goal. Uh, like you were saying before, Jeff, him having a very long scoreless drought. And you really saw how much it meant to Josie with that goal celebration. Ripping the shirt off, celebrating with the whole team, pumping the crowd up. Um, a lot of times these guys are questioned about, you know, what does the shirt really mean to you when you're playing for other clubs and whatnot. Uh, but I like I like the additions Bruce Arena made because these are some of the, some of our veterans with a lot of experience, and I think they realize this might be their last chance to get some silverware uh, because Mexico is going to have a much stronger team for the next Gold Cup, and then you know that's really our best chance to win silverware for a while. You know, four years from now, Dempsey. Bradley are probably on the outside looking in so and and look at what Dempsey did yesterday too with the goal and with his impact being so active in the midfield so I like the U.S. no matter who wins tonight to come out of here with the Gold Cup win but I think it's just very refreshing to see how much it means to a lot of these guys uh, to put on the U.S. shirt and give it 110% so I'll, I'll let you guys kind of reflect on the fact of what you saw in Glendale, um, the crowd, how it reacted, obviously a, probably a little bit smaller than, than maybe what they anticipated because Mexico was there. Maybe it was because Mexico didn't have the, the star power, you know, in that lineup that they would have normally brought had it been a, a true Gold Cup year. Um, obviously, the, you know, the, the crowd wasn't real huge for the Jamaica game, although... I'm sure Jason Johnson was a happy man during that match, sitting with sitting with the boys down there. But I don't know. Tell me, tell me about your guys' thoughts about about what we saw in Glendale. Uh, you know, if uh, Mexico plays, you know, tonight, 
like they did against Honduras, I think uh, Jamaica's going to have a pretty good chance of, of beating them. I, you know, hopefully they step it up and we can, we'll probably end up seeing another Mexico USA final, but uh, I think, I think Mexico needs to watch out for Jamaica there. Oh, I'd a hundred percent agree. That was a pretty poor performance for Mexico, even though they got the win. Um, what was most concerning to me is the last 30 minutes, they were really just playing keep away and had no intentions of scoring. And really, Honduras looked like the more dangerous team. And when a team that doesn't score in the entire tournament looks like the more dangerous team, you have some issues. So, but as far as the whole fan experience, I think it was a fun, a fun night. I think the prices for the tickets were actually pretty good value, um, especially if you got to see the Canada-Jamaica game. That was an incredible game. Honestly, that was the most open, entertaining quarterfinal out of them all. So... It was neat to see that. It was neat to see Jason Johnson happy. There were some great goals in that match. I think three plays from that ended up on the Sports Center top ten, and Junior Hoylet's goal for Canada was number one. So that was cool. Um, you know, hopefully this just allows us to continue getting matches for big tournaments like we've gotten the last two years. And that's going to do it for the Rising as One podcast this week. Thank you so much for listening. We're going to be back next Sunday following the San Antonio match. And hopefully we will be celebrating a victory and celebrating three big points. So thanks again for listening. Have a great day, everybody.